Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 8C, Chats Adams. My name is Magellan, and I am increasingly persuaded that Earth belongs exclusively to them. It's Alan. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like that one. My other, I, I was looking through the quotes, and my other options were like, uh, calling you Sleepy John, uh-huh. or, uh... There was something else that I didn't I didn't want to call you, but there is no yeah. man I would rather uh, play naked chess in a bathtub with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I wish that someone had actually said that in the episode out loud. Well, let me tell you this, big fella. You don't have to actually follow the quotes of the episode. You can also say like, and I'd no, never no, no, rather no. have anyone tell me to have an affair with my <laughs> with another woman in France than my <laughs> friend Alan. <laughs> well, that's true too. Yeah. I ne- I wouldn't rather have anyone else let my blood while I complain about the government to them. It's Alan. <laughs> I, I would rather I wouldn't want to convalesce in Holland with anybody but them. There it is. Yeah. There it is. How you doing? Good. Sleepy. Sleepy. Yeah. No, I'm sure. lying. I completely made that up. I'm I'm complete. I'm I'm the energy this 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 episode. Okay, I'm, I'm Sleepy John today. Yes. <laughs> Good evening, Sleepy John. Welcome to the show. Um, yeah, I uh. I can. I guess I can let the listeners know this. I'm. This is my first time recording a podcast with my second monitor. Whoa! What are you? So, what are you uh, doing as a monitor setup during the podcast? Uh, we've got Audacity rocking right now. One entire monitor, and then the other monitor just has our notes up, and uh, I have the episodes playing in the background, um, just as sort of like something to look at, and like if there's lines I want to remember, I have the captions up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a nice like live uh setup i like that about it a lot um having two monitors is cool it's definitely one of those things though where once you have it you're like oh no i'm never gonna stop using these (laughs) i can never go back to having one (laughs) that's like if i ever leave this house someday but yeah it was either this or get like a new desk and then buy one and i was like well desks are actually really expensive and hard to install so yeah i did this and now you feel like you have a new desk honestly yes it makes my workspace feel big um but while I'm here, I'm I'm talking about history with my friends. So what what's better than this, really? Heck yeah. Um, how are you? Any anything new in your life? Um, not really. Just coming off of a nap that uh, probably should have been like several hours long, and it was 15 minutes. So uh, that's that's the kind of vibe I'm rocking right now. Probably should have been eight hours of sleep. Let's say during the <laughs> night, for example. Yeah. As an example. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'm excited to talk about these two episodes of John Adams, so let's let's get into it. We watched this week episodes three and four of the HBO miniseries John Adams. The first episode we watched, episode three, is called Don't Tread on Me. Um, it, like all episodes of the miniseries, is based on uh, the David McCullough biography of John Adams from 2001. And uh, it was written for screen by Kirk Ellis, directed by Tom Hooper. This one originally aired on March 23rd, 2008. And Alan, what happened in Don't Tread on Me? You know, I'd love to tell you. We are now seven years out from the beginning of this series. It's 1777. A new period of separation from Abigail looms when Adams is appointed minister plenipotentiary to France, along with Ben Franklin. Abigail insists that Adams take their son, John Quincy. The two endure a rough voyage and a skirmish with a British warship in making their way to France. There, the differences between Adams and Franklin become clear. 
So that's actually, unlike last week where they literally got the name of the convention wrong, that's a fairly <laughs> accurate picture of this episode. Yeah. Um, I got to come out here and say right away that I love this one. This is definitely my favorite of the series I, so I far. I love it, yeah. Yeah, you had, you had yeah. mentioned, like, I think you're going to get a kick out of this one when I watched it, but... Um, yeah, it's not even just the France stuff. It's it's more like we're focusing on the humans here. The the American politicking is obviously very present and relevant to, to Adams's like point of view, but you know, ultimately this is like two different worldviews clashing and uh and also like how his relationship to his family decaying and and facing a lot of difficulty at home, Abigail uh dealing with the kids and all of that. Um so I think it's important like now three episodes into a seven episode series to kind of pull back the the reins a little bit and and let us like sit with these characters in a new setting yeah, yeah. what do you think um yeah i mean i i think it's kind of fun that we watched three and four together in this episode it it kind of was a, another instance of when the our chat structure just like creates a kind of magic that wasn't necessarily uh there in the way that the episodes were originally viewed because these aired a week apart um but it was definitely a different vibe to be sort of sitting in this period of time where Adams is like away from the action in Europe and, uh, you know, kind of getting getting kicked around and made fun of. And um, it's the watch experience last week for me was very much grounded in like, oh, OK, here's the history that I know that he's directly a part of. And then this week it's like, and here's a story about a sad guy who gets sick and uh, everybody makes fun of him. So I think ultimately I found it like there was kind of less historical stuff that I was directly interested in to dig into, but um, I did enjoy the character study. And I thought that the stuff with Abigail and with the family and um, the way that this miniseries shows like the toll that it has on your personal life when you, mm -hmm. when you take on responsibilities like this. Um, I think that that was all really, really well done. Yeah. And uh, this portrayal of, of France in the, in the late 1700s uh, really does a lot for the look of the show. We get all sorts of new characters and uh, a new sort of visual style. We get a lot more wide shots of palaces and big gardens and hotels and museums I mean, I haven't been to Paris, but this is sort of an image of Paris that I love, I find really beautiful, um, and does a really good job contrasting the way the French live compared to, to John and uh, and Franklin, mm -hmm. uh, even though Franklin has more, sort of more adjusted and bounced into it better. Um, he already has a woman that he likes a lot and, uh, you know, has learned French really well. You know, one of the, the most entertaining sort of threads in this episode is that John Adams, like, doesn't... His French is pretty bad. Um, he can understand a decent amount of it as we understand, as we comprehend in this. But mm -hmm. his, like, he doesn't have the pronunciation down. And if somebody, like, speaks pretty quickly at him, like with me trying to understand French, he's just like, uh, oui, la musique. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, you know, contrasting that and... Not only the fact, like the comedy of that, but the fact that his that language barrier puts him at a disadvantage in a situation where he really needs to assert himself and his country's power a little bit. Yeah, uh, he's trying to definitely. Uh, but um, we get there. We start actually on 
a really heartbreaking conversation between him and Abigail in uh, in bed back in Boston. Um, and that's kind of one of the other threads, like we mentioned, that, that goes throughout this episode, this idea that, uh, you know, can you run a country from this far away? Like, how are we as your wife and children supposed to go on with you being gone for God knows how long? Are you going to write to us? Like, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it is sad. Uh, I had written originally in my notes and deleted it, something along the lines of, like, you know, do I need to see more, uh, like, old men who put their work over their family life? Uh, I just feel like that's a really common sort of trope in television and in sure. dramatic storytelling, honestly. is like, well, the family goes second. The country comes first. But... At the very least, we see the toll that that takes on John's marriage yeah, and John himself. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it's, as it's... W- as one of the founding fathers, I guess, with such a strong relationship to his wife, it's actually detrimental to his work to be so far away from her. Yeah, it's... Um, I think we had this thought... What show did we watch recently? Oh, in, um, in Roots, right? Where we saw Alex Haley's relationships implode. And the show sort of painted it as like, but he ended up being Alex Haley and did Roots, so it's all cool. Whereas in this, it's like, no, John going off and being a diplomat, um, it made him sick and it made him a bad person. And uh, he had a horrible, miserable time away from his wife. So Mm -hmm. this was bad for him. And uh, I thought that that was a a subversion of the trope that you're talking about that... uh, I think makes this a, a worthwhile portrayal. Right. Uh, there's a yeah. cost to love, John. Absence and distance. Right. Abigail says to him early on. And then he has to go around to each of his kids like, okay, I'm going to leave for a long time again. And they're Brutal. like, <laughs> they're like, what the fuck? You yeah. said you weren't going to do that. And he's like, okay, well, next time I see you, you're all going to be like <laughs> teens or whatever. Um, anyway, peace out. That Bye was, for that was probably rough. 10 plus years. Yeah. Uh, but the only kid that gets to go with him is John Quincy, who's like, okay, well, bye, my siblings. For a, a long time, to the point where we're not going to recognize each other, maybe. Yeah. Uh, John Quincy takes us all in stride. I actually like, you know, because we go from this and that scene where he kisses Abby and she, like, goes for the hug. That part kind of got me. Um, yeah. Where she's like, And Don't she, like, won't let go of him or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, right. I loved that. And then one of his kids being like, no, I'm not like kissing you. I don't care. You always say you're coming back. What if this is the time that you don't? All that stuff. Um, it's, you know, an easy emotional pull to incorporate kids into the story, but it's a, an effective one, especially because, like you said, John Quincy is a part of this journey with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I know surprisingly little about John Quincy Adams at some adult, um, which I'm I'm disappointed in myself a little bit to say, but you know it's I mean, sort of like he, yeah. he he came off in history classes as like the also ran like and then my i did it because my dad did it mm-hmm. um but we see here like going from trying to read french on the boat in the deck of the boat while it's like come violently rocking back and forth and soon to be shot <laughs> by the british just vomiting all over the place it's like yes sweet yeah two s <laughs> <laughs> His pronunciation is pretty good. John Quincy's learned in French. It's great. But yeah, his dad can't handle all, uh, a turbulent boat. Um, and I kind of like the. It's a small moment, but, you know, when the British uh, approach, there's a British ship that approaches theirs. I didn't need this action scene that much, but I know, like, the show needs to have some sort of higher level of action than just people talking all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the guys 
or you know first john tells john quincy like go down to the deck you do what i say damn it and then one of the guys is like john go down to the deck i'm telling you what to do and he's like no i just (laughs) i'm the dad (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and he's trying to like shoot the british and it's all this like action i just didn't find this very appealing and i didn't really feel like we out of this part yeah it's the the most that we really learn from it is that conflict with the British is a very much uh, a naval battle. This, this war at this point is very focused on the, yeah, on the they're, sea. They're certainly dominant in in the or, sea. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also just that, like John Quincy is seeing some horrible stuff. We get some HBO ass violence where a man loses his leg and then right. bleeds out, and John Quincy right. sees it through a door, and it's like, yeah, that kid's gonna be fucked up at some point. Sorry, he's just gonna yeah. be traumatized forever that's fine it's really gratuitous i honestly just didn't need any of this stuff yeah i think we can move past that stuff it's just like all right that's cool yeah like it's it's at this point no go ahead no it's at this point too that i'm like this is where tom hooper's like penchant for dutch angles makes a little bit of sense because we're on a rocking boat things are turbulent we don't know where we're going like this is like kind of you know like we don't know where we are on the ocean yeah. But when we have Dutch angles like at a dinner scene. I'm just like, you <laughs> right. need to stop. You it, need it, to like learn it, this. It really undermines like, like you were saying the the uneasiness and rockiness of being on a boat, using Dutch angles, and then like when John Adams is super ill and every angle is at like sixty degrees, and we're seeing weird um, flashes, hallucinations, of, like, and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it undermines the cinematography of those moments when, yeah, the scene where the French people are making fun of him is shot like the same way. <laughs> like, uh, And I looked this up just to make sure I wasn't wrong. I was like reading about uh, the history of the Dutch angle. And mm-hmm. I was right. Every It's like universally agreed. Like this is a thing that's used to show tension, confusion, uh, you know, like lack of clarity, all that stuff. Like I'm not misinterpreting it. It's just he thinks it looks really cool and like sometimes there's a part in like episode two where abigail is just like tilling the fields and it's at 75 degrees and i'm like what are you doing (laughs) yeah i think something i was thinking about is like um you know how does it change the story of of these events depending on which founding father or which historical figure you choose as the protagonist like hamilton is a story that's really it's about swagger and legacy and, and, you know, the show kind of behaves in a Hamiltonian way in a sense. Mm-hmm. And then this show is like uh, constantly tense and anxious. And I think to a certain extent, the cinematography reflects the way they're trying to portray John Adams, which is that he is like, um, deeply self-conscious and has a huge inferiority complex all the time yeah but at the same time it just Scenes gets tired involved him though right right exactly like the tilling the fields that it doesn't make sense that it would be shot that way <laughs> i can i get i get you know everyone's confused this is a difficult time for america everyone's worried um i did a little bit of reading actually because i was trying to like find exactly what illness we understand john to have had when he was uh we, yeah, i found I don't out i think they said that directly they never say it in the episode, and when I Googled it, all I got was actually a pretty interesting fact, which is that when he's in Holland uh, and he's, like, you know, having those hallucinations, at some point in his trip to, to Holland, he was in a coma for five days. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. In the middle of all of this happening, he's like, I'm so sick. I keep passing out. They keep doing my bloodletting, and then five days just disappear from his wow. life because <laughs> he's in a coma. That's insane. 
But most of the stuff that I looked up was like he started like develop. He had really uh, dangerous anxiety and depression, and uh, it was later understood that John Adams very likely had what we now know as uh, dissociative identity disorder or bipolar disorder. Uh, oh, okay. because he would have very much like manic excited moments and then like go into his his like a negative state and so that is what more of my reading pull came up with than i see like what explicitly he had i mean it's i'm assuming it's a combination of like uh anxiety a lot of like food maybe some food poisoning uh uh you know he's surrounded by a lot of people so he could maybe he even contracted smallpox and we just didn't understand that but yeah you know it's really not made clear um, but you know, to go back to the directing for a second, I think once we actually arrive in France, uh, in Paris, I mean, like, uh, the directing takes on a much more stately sort of opulent tone. Mm-hmm. We're getting all the big wide shots. We're getting way more colors, uh, more characters. We run into Ben Franklin very early on and immediately John is like, it's, it's, you know, it's imagine like going on a big vacation and your friend has got there like a week before you. And he's like, yeah, we already have like yeah. p- plans with people. I have like plans with people you haven't met. And you're like, wait, who? Yeah, I thought we were going to like. These are my vacation friends. And you're like, no, aren't we yeah. going to like hang out? We were going to go like swimming in the hotel pool. And he's like, no, we're going to Netherlands. And you're like, wait, no, what? why? <laughs> yeah. I love that moment where John Adams is like, cool, I'm here to do diplomacy. And Ben Franklin is like, you smell, take a bath, <laughs> like, like chill out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Ben Franklin in this episode is such a, just a, I don't want to say an ass. I just think he's like very comfortable, yeah. uh, and trying to push John to be more like open-minded about things. Cause he hasn't right. forgotten like how to be a political leader, you know, by, mm-hmm. by in episode four, when Jefferson comes back right away, Franklin flips on the switch and it's like, all right, we need to do the work guys. He hasn't forgotten that, but I just think this sort of like. You know, the European style, like much slower. Everyone's like partying more and yeah. we're dressing up more. That's the focus. He's he's taking that in stride, especially in his older age. Yeah, he definitely knows how to like milk his celebrity and, and create a kind of character of himself for the French because uh, John Adams remarks with frustration the the way that he gets done dirty is he's like the co-ambassador with Franklin or whatever. And then uh, Congress sends a letter that's like, okay, now it's just... Ben Franklin actually and you're not John, even on the you're John not, Adams yeah. isn't doing it um and so he sort of grumbles in the carriage like ugh, everyone in France thinks that Ben Franklin like single-handedly with one of his electricity machines is making <laughs> the revolution happen um they have plates with his face on them while he's right. alive they made plates with right. his face right and um yeah, so I think because we're seeing this whole thing from John Adams's perspective, the version of Franklin we're getting is it's accentuating the parts of Franklin that Adams really detests, which is like he's a sort of playboy here to hang out and relax. And I think Franklin's perspective is like, John, the first rule of diplomacy or the first rule of whatever it is we're doing is like people have to like you in order yeah. to want to talk to you. So... Uh, Franklin might say like, yeah, all this carousing that I'm doing, all this like hanging out and taking baths and hobnobbing might seem pointless, but all of that is necessary to get my foot in the door to like talk to the king of France or whatever yeah, um, and get people to be on my side. Um, but it's, it's as much about wheeling, like, like uh, sort of schmoozing as it is right. getting people to sign documents. Right. 
And with that, the other side of it is Franklin also is like, and, you know, I'm having sex with this lady because I'm kind of drunk off my own popularity a little bit also. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's portrayed pretty negatively, I think, in the show. Like, even when... You know, they meet a lot of the French people and they, they're they like, oh, Adams, like Sam Adams. And he's like, no, I'm I'm, his I'm, the, I, that's my co- I'm the more famous. I, I thought I was the more famous. Why, yeah. What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, the vow like we talk about um, in this whole sort of chat summer school season, we've talked about like, what is the perspective of a, of a miniseries? And like, what is the set? You know, what's the character of it? And I think the value in choosing to focus on John Adams as a historical figure is he's present for a lot of history and he enacts a lot of things, but you know, a lot of stuff is mostly happening around him and he reacted to it and wrote about it, Mm -hmm. which is extremely uh, useful for valuable for historians as like, this is the guy who like paid attention and took the right notes. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe at the end of the day, like whatever you think of him politically, that was the value to focus on him is like, yeah, well he was there for all this stuff. Right. I definitely felt that later. Um, I think it's in the it's in the second episode where they see the hot air balloon, and I'm like, this guy got to live through so much amazing stuff, and and witness all of it. Not even just from the American perspective, like boots on the ground, but he got to see France evolving, and he got to see uh, Holland, and like all these different important parts of like different nations that contributed to America's independence. Yeah. So I think that's just like a big, that's one of the most useful things about like choosing to tell the story of John Adams is like, yeah, well, this guy got, we get to show more of history because of him. Yeah. Um, and so we, we learn more about the treaty. We know historically that this is the Treaty of Amity and Commerce, uh, which is the first of two treaties signed between the U.S. and France. So where that puts us in 1778. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another treaty that they, they basically just used to incorporate that with Spain later called the Treaty of Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um and you know Adams and Franklin are some of the are two of the main uh, people working on that uh, here in France, uh, and we get a lot of yeah, just like talking dinner scenes with uh, the different French diplomats. Um, they make a really big deal visually and directorially to like contrast Adams, especially with they the French. Take the powder on their faces. Yeah, I actually yeah. was reading about that. That was my like sort of spot my my research hole this week um i found a really great article on a historical miscellany called uh painted faces cosmetics in the 18th century Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it's a it's pretty short it's i'm gonna link it in the show notes it's a great little read about like why the french in particular uh adopted this makeup style um in short it's basically like you know purity uh you know cleanliness is able to hide things like smallpox boils and and sunburns and illness and make you look like clean basically even though very often the makeup that they used was highly highly toxic like yeah, didn't they have like lead in it or something yes yes exactly one of some one of the princesses of france like literally died from lead poisoning due to heavy makeup Gosh. application so you know but we get this really hilarious hilarious scene where uh they're handing out american flags to all of the people and john is like you only give it to them if they collect money and <laughs> franklin is just like no take flags and he's like no they need they didn't pay for them <laughs> <laughs> don't give them flags and they're all like singing for america it's yeah. kind of like this image of the french as very like happy to help but not really like they don't know they think what it's what, cute you know yeah exactly it's, exactly it's like oh this is fun and also the the pleasure of like sticking it to the british 
Uh, right. And then I think, you know, later on, once the French Revolution comes around, there's going to be people who start to take the American Revolution more seriously once the U.S. actually, like, establishes its, itself mm-hmm. as a country. But at this point, it's like, oh, that's that's kind of a fun thing that's going on right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's It's actually great that they do... They they hard cut back and forth between here and America, but it's right after that flag scene that we cut to uh, Abigail in the middle of the night, like freaking out about stuff, and it's all really dark there. And you're like, oh man, yeah, America's not like we're in a they're not winning the war right now. We're having fun in France. We're like you know taking baths and uh, partying and all this stuff, but yeah. America's in a very difficult part of the war at the moment. Yeah, I think to talk about Abigail Adams. Um, her story in this episode is really, I mean, it's really such a bummer and upsetting um, mm-hmm. because at the beginning of the episode, when, when Adams is about, when John is about to leave for, for France, she's like, what the fuck dude, come yeah. on. Like we said. And then she has this line where she says, if I were a man, I would be in the field of action. They're all honor lies. Like she basically is saying like, okay, cool, you get to go do this for our country. I, you know, have a sense of of national duty as well, but you're basically saying, like, uh, you got to take care of these kids for me and take care of this house. And so she's, like, right there in Massachusetts, not that far from where a lot of fighting is taking place. And she she's can't getting, fight, and she can't change policy. She can't fight, yeah, she's... And then, like, her one sort of avenue to making a a difference or an impact is that she and John would talk all the time. Yeah. And he stops sending her letters. um, For months. For months and months to the point where she, like, can't sleep and she's angry. And I, I love the parallelism of, like, both John and Abigail kind of falling apart, being away from each other. And then each of them being with a kid who has to step up and be like, hey, it's it's okay. <laughs> like John Quincy being like, dad, it's it's all right. Like the French are helping us. Like, why yeah. is, why are you so worried about this? <laughs> They're giving us like assistance. Yeah. And then um, I can't remember their daughter's name. Abby, I think. Abby. Um, Abby talking to Abigail like, yeah, he's just he's just busy. Like he still loves you. He's still he'll send you stuff um i thought that yeah she's up in the middle of the night like scrubbing the windows and abby comes in i love this moment because you know we we they they make it very explicit even in that like telling the field scene where uh abby is like mother why does like the why does john quincy get to have all the fun and she's like yeah because men always get to have all the fun so she's like instilling this this uh independence in her daughter and then Mm. it just comes right back at her where her daughter's like mom Stop bullshitting. You need to go to bed as much as I do. Stop telling me to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. I don't care that I'm eight or whatever. Like yeah. You right. are, you're a shell of yourself right now. Yeah. Um. And yeah. And then like John Quincy with his like feet dangling on this French chair being like, dad, isn't this good? And John's like, no, like the French are going to just be our other rulers. Like we're just being pawns between them and England. And he's like, no, no, no. We're going to wait like dad. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, briefly though, yeah, just, uh, John Quincy by the end of, I think in this episode, uh, yeah, he does. He gets sent to be some guy's like legal secretary in Russia. Yeah. So John and 
John especially, but also Abigail kind of, they're not good parents, I don't think. Not in the way that we think of, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Um, So he, like, you know, takes his son to a foreign country to, like, <laughs> show him what it's like to be a diplomat or whatever. And then this dude is like, hey... Uh, the guy who's like the ambassador to Russia or whatever is like, hey, I need someone there who speaks French because John Quincy Adams in the meantime has basically like self-taught French. He's mastered French. <laughs> yeah, which is awesome. Um, yes. And so John is like, okay, well, you can take my take my kid, I guess. And I'm just going to keep dying over here. Um, so kind of in the background, John Quincy Adams is having like this, like you were saying, this really interesting life where at 14 or whatever he's like an ambassador in russia and he's fluent in french and he's like doing all this diplomatic uh maneuvering uh which ends up you know leading to him being a diplomat later and eventually president and all that secretary of state as well it's why i'm so so curious to see what the older john quincy does as of like because episode four kind of sets him up to be like I know how the game is played now, dad, like just because I'm, you know, home and like dating or whatever doesn't mean that I'm not extremely shrewd. And like, I know as much as you do. Right. Uh, It's yeah, he's just in the background, like growing up in front of their eyes. And they're just kind of like sending him off to do stuff. Uh, It's a very, yeah, like different way of parenting. But uh, it's it's really strange. I kind of wished we saw more young John Quincy because I thought that actor was quite good for his age. Yeah, that kid was good. But um. I'm sure we're going to get plenty more of uh, Eben Moss backrack as older, sexier John Quincy. Yeah, uh, that was a handsome guy. I love him so much. We'll talk about mm-hmm. him. But uh, yeah, so John is, you know, trying to do all this stuff. We we did gloss over it. We referenced it a couple times. But the last straw for John kind of being frustrated that France is not giving them enough and that they're going to be under France's thumb is John is trying to talk to Ben about this. And uh, Ben Franklin's assistant is like, no, you can't see him right now. Don't see him. He's doing very important uh, papers. <laughs> and honestly, did not expect this. I fully thought it was going to be like Ben Franklin is like on top of the madame and or like she's on top <laughs> of him more likely. And just like they're going at it. And instead, yeah. they're just sitting in a tub. She's wearing like a, a, like a, a slip and he's naked and they're just playing chess. Yeah. why i don't know because it's fun fuck you <laughs> it's awesome and yeah. he's and he's so chill about it he's like what's up john and he's like ben and he's like looking away like ben we have to talk and he's like i'm in the middle of a chess game <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny and so charming i just love these like little moments of uh of comedy and like humanity yeah amongst all of the politicking here yeah um, but so john is frustrated and then uh he ends up going to the netherlands and we get a really really stark color difference um there's also a scene we don't need to talk about much where abigail gets flirted with by a a french guy in america yeah whatever whatever it's nothing um but yeah in the netherlands everything is like black and dark and gray and sad and everyone is speaking dutch and john is like hey we need a loan can we get like a big loan please (laughs) and they're like we don't think you can pay it he says that they say it's bad weather for loans right now. And he's like, yeah. guys, I'm dying. <laughs> They're like, are you sick? And he's like, no, yes, give me money. Yeah. Um, I this this stuff made me really like think about how, you know, John Adams was there for one of the first instances of America like taking on a significant amount of debt. 
that like to this day America is like in some of the highest debt in the world mm-hmm. to other countries. Mm-hmm. And so like in this scene, and I think this is entirely the intent of the scene, but they're telling him like, oh, America doesn't have a credit score. Like you guys don't have any credit. You've never done this before. And he's like, well, got to start somewhere. And they're like, you know, later they're like, okay, how about 5% interest? But like, think about this. This is millions of dollars <laughs> being transferred right. over. Right. Which translates to probably billions of dollars today. Uh, and, you know, like I said, he's he's starting the first American debt. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a yeah. lot. Yeah, it's it's another um, instance of that theme that I was talking about in the first episode, where it's just like there you just have to establish like how do you establish the legitimacy of a country, right? Mm-hmm. And like there's all this stuff about laws and then Declaration of Independence. It's like about legitimacy and like having constitutions and an army. Um, and then this is kind of like a funny thing that we don't think about, but another thing that establishes the legitimacy of a country is like, can someone loan you money and expect for you to pay them back? Well, to get it back, yeah. Um, yeah. Which still, to this day, like you said, credit scores, everybody has a credit score. Um, like, we, we're judged still in this way um, and kind of constantly tracked for whether or not we are reliable enough to give someone their money back. Um, and it's this sort of chicken and the egg thing of like, well, you need a loan to have credit, but you need good credit to get a loan. Yeah. This is the cycle. This is the capitalist cycle. Right. So I just thought that that whole, it was just a funny, I think they did a good job of like making that funny. Um, yes. Where he's like, come on, please. And they're like, no, 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 no. And then as soon as they win the war in the next episode, those Dutch guys show up and they're like, Hey. Here's a check. Here's a loan. You're uh you're good, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um so John is getting more and more sick. Again, we don't know exactly what uh he's sick from here, but the episode starts focusing on that and the letters that he's getting about America and uh he's stressing out more and more. It's kind of like bordering on Cohen Brothers stress levels where it's just like, Oh, the world is falling apart and I'm to the point yeah. that I'm hallucinating. Uh, you know, he gives his son up to to go tell to go to Russia. And then the back end, I mean, he's so, like, the the makeup on Giamatti here is so good. And the performance is great where he's, like, rambling to his doctor. And he's like, the Dutch government. And how dare they? And this, that, and that. And the guy's like, please stand still. I'm, like, letting all the blood out of your arm. Like, you're going <laughs> to pass yourself out. Uh, yeah. Stay still, her hair Adams. And he's like, but I should have the audacity. And then in, in his ramblings, he just passes out. Yeah. Um. And uh, then we get this like really weird hallucination stuff that you mentioned. I don't know how I felt about this ending I the episode. It was dorky. It's really it's quite dorky because it's um, like what <laughs> we think we're like. Oh no, is John Adams gonna make it? Yeah, <laughs> what? Like, come on! I know that this is a biopic about him, so. I don't know. I thought it was silly. It's it's his it's his stress coming to physically manifest ultimately. Yeah. And I guess it's good sometimes to end the episodes on a down note instead of every single one ending with like uh in America. <laughs> wow. Cuz the next the next one starts with him being like, "Hey John, we won." And if we ended this episode with that, I would have 
been annoyed by that. Yeah, because the second to last scene is when Abigail gets the letter that's like, and she reads it over and over again. I love Linny's performance here, but where it's like, uh, we've won a major naval victory against the British. And it's like, oh, there is hope. We are going to see your father again. Um, but then, yeah, the last moment is him cutting to being like, Abigail. <laughs> Just a sweaty mess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that, that basically ends episode three. There is one uh, sort of line that I think we both noted that I really loved. Just mm-hmm. digging more into uh, sort of the difference between the French government and French lifestyle versus America's lifestyle. Because mm. even today, we know that like there's a common stereotype that French people are lazy and that they don't work much and that it's like too easy to live there. And that's like not the struggle is what's worth it because the lie we've been fed by capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, somebody asks uh, John about like, excuse me, like what he's teaching his kids and like, why don't they learn painting like we do here? And he basically says, I don't have the exact quote here, but like, I work hard so that my kids can study mathematics and strategy and hard work so that their kids can study painting. Yeah, I have um, that quote that he gives at that dinner is paraphrased from one of his letters to Abigail that I actually oh. found if you want me to read that. Sure, please do. So he says... The science of government, it is my duty to study, more than all other sciences. The arts of legislation and administration and negotiation ought to take the place of, indeed exclude in a manner, all other arts. I must study politics and war, that our sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. Our sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, and naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. Okay. So basically, that's that's really great that they incorporated a line from the letters because there's no really easy way. Like, you know how easy it would have been to just be like, cut to like narration (laughs) like it's a ken burns documentary of like my dearest abigail (laughs) yeah but this sort of it seems like this is the moment where he like comes up with that fire idea and And then then he he wrote it down that night abigail like whoa i just thought of this so cool yeah exactly um but yeah i thought that that whole exchange was was really powerful and it's like the only example of him getting like a little bit of respect from the French people. Yeah. Ben, ben Franklin gave him a look like, yeah, I'm going to put job. the farmer's almanac. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a delicious chestnut, John. Great job. Great job. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just really want to hang out at this French hotel and put on big cakey makeup and, and <laughs> just eat all day. Just giggle so and talk about la musique and the opera Ex- and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, when Abigail saw that, that she comes to see the play later and she's like, yeah, they're like, uh, isn't it like kind of sexual? And she's like, yeah, it's so inappropriate. And then Jefferson's like, but you liked it, didn't you? And she's like, you fucking bet I liked it, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was awesome. sick. That's great. I love, ah, oh, the French. <laughs> uh, I bet you this scene is what uh, he was basing that, that delivery on. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's basically what I got for episode three. It's a pretty tight episode, honestly. Yeah. It's very strong. It's very... Yeah well caught good costuming and good uh performances kind of make up for the like iffy directing on this one but Mm -hmm. uh i think overall yeah it's an entertaining episode yeah so So. that uh that does it for the first episode we'll be back after a brief musical break to discuss episode four reunion
Welcome back to Chats Adams. The second episode we watched this week was John Adams episode 4, Reunion. This episode aired March 30th, 2008. Magellan, can you tell me what happened in this episode? In this episode, we start in 1781. Convalescing in Holland, Adams joyously learns the British surrendered to Washington at Yorktown. Returning to France to secure commerce with other nations, Adams sends for Abigail, and the two reunite in his opulent opulent mansion in Paris. Also arriving is Jefferson, who suffered a catastrophic loss with the deaths of his wife and daughter in the same year. Oof. All I have to say is the classic millennial term, oof. Oof. (laughs) Oof. Oof. Buh. Buh. Buh, real life. Yeah. So... Uh, the episode is called Reunion of Magellan, and we get at least two, if not three or four reunions, um, kind of an overarching theme of uh, people reconvening, seeing how the world has changed over a long period of time, jumping forward partway through the episode uh, and all that stuff. So overall, what did you think of this one? Um, this is like starting to swerve back into like, okay, here's some historical stuff that I am familiar with so you know it does some table setting for next episode which i'm really excited to see when adams is his vp and, and what all that is going to be like mm-hmm. um and seeing john and abigail again was nice and you know it's there's some good stuff and then like the awkward dinner with the kids it's like oof okay oof oof right you but. can tell a story of american history but also focus on a single family like yeah. and use that as the avenue it's great yeah um, I I like too that this episode began with uh you know John is still extremely sick and woken up one day by his doctor who's like yeah you guys are winning and he's like what and he's like you guys are winning and he kisses the guy's hand like multiple times and also probably gave that guy his illness but <laughs> I thought the so same happy. thing I was like that guy was pretty chill with like this horribly sick man kissing his hand all over mm-hmm. I don't know if how if they knew much about disease prevention, but regardless, that was like, ooh, even no matter what, that's a little yucky. Yeah. Um, that's part of the reason that hand kissing went out of fashion in like polite society. But uh we also get the conclusion of the debt stuff in this episode where the the two debtors from uh from Holland like cut literally this is what they I get is this what they mean when they say cut a check? That they use scissors I to like cut the think check? So yes. <laughs> I never wow. thought about that, but I think that's it. I'm realizing that live as I'm saying it out loud. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's pretty cool. This is going to be our grandkids when they're like, wait, is that why it's called hanging up the phone? Because it's hanging (laughs) on something. Pick up the, yeah, or film this. This is crazy. Oh my, what's film? Um, (laughs) So instead of just going home like a normal person, John is instead like, Abigail, you should come to France. I know he still has work to do, but I was kind of surprised that they made that decision of like, actually, now it'll just leave the kids with no parents. That's fine. That's not going to be bad for us at all. Yeah. Um. Was there a reason for that beyond like he just misses her a lot and he can't leave? Like, I'd rather have you come to me, I guess. I think that's what it was, is they, I mean, they'd been apart at this point for like years, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, of not seeing each other and, and barely exchanging correspondence. And I think it just got to the point where it was like, hey, come come here and uh i don't know i think that's sort of like i'm kind of charmed obviously it sucks and they're like not great parents for doing that at both of them uh, i think it's maybe more on john than on abigail but 
but both of them sort of agreed yeah. to like, yeah, we'll just leave the kids with like whoever and see them in a long time. Um, but I am sort of charmed by this idea of like parents who still just love each other a lot and want to be around each other all the time and like choose each other over their kids. I don't know. Maybe that's not a charming thing to everybody, but I think that speaks to just like, they just want to hop each other's bones and like hang out and talk all the time. And I like that. Right. And, and, uh, and it's a private relationship, right? Because when she first arrives in the carriage, uh, she, she like looks at John with a, a weird sort of distance that at first seems like, Oh, they're like mad at each other is what's the, sort of disconnect here that they're not mm-hmm. like consummating their love right away that seems kind of weird mm-hmm. don't they miss each other and yeah, you know, why he, are they like hugging or something right you know and it, it turns out that it's more like like i said they just don't want to make that a public thing that's more i think societal than it even is just the two of them uh you yeah, know like i think that's part of it i think also the other part is like you know they're both trying to feel out like do you hate my guts right now yeah are we good (laughs) are we cool and um as he lets her into this like opulent gorgeous gorgeous mansion we get some great shots of like you know light peering through the windows and all the gorgeous rooms and he's like these are all the cool rooms i have um and uh you know they find one that they're like this is not in use and then they sit in that room Uh and then they're like oh my god baby i miss you so much (laughs) (laughs) And it's a little goofy. I mean, Giamatti as like a sex symbol, I think is fine. Um, you know, he's got his protruding belly as he looks out the window and then he turns and kisses her and his wig slips off. <laughs> and she's like, that's fine. So I'm, I love your face. And uh, yeah, this is the moment for me that was the like, it's not TV, it's HBO thing of, you know, that whatever AMC version of John Adams or maybe AMC does stuff like this, but like other... Um, other networks i feel like would have panned across to the window looking out into the garden or something yeah um like the moment that they started to undo or the moment that his like wig fell off yeah <laughs> yeah but it's gross. so it's so jo- like what i like about this it's pretty tasteful and joyous because yeah like obviously they're like having missionary sex in front of us and that's like a lot but you know it focuses more on like laura linney's just glowing face smiling that she yeah, has to see her of, husband the again. sense of relief of like we still got it like yes. we're still us yeah um i did i love that about the scene i just also it's kind of like okay we're we're she's like very slowly undoing his little scarf <laughs> he like, like climbs up her legs which again like societally you know the whole like she's not the the dress never comes up the dress has to cover the entire leg and he's like no i get to see the leg the leg is mine <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh, yeah and then the other thing about the scene though for me is this swelling almost like patriotic like i couldn't separate the fact that like i was looking at john adams and abigail adams having sex with each other (laughs) and it it almost felt like a patriotic musical cue along the lines of reading the declaration of independence where it's like look at our you know these founding figures having 10 seconds of missionary sex with each other (laughs) isn't this incredible and then falling asleep (laughs) aren't you inspired (laughs) by the american this is american history at work (laughs) yeah yeah it, it's it's pretty goofy um and then but they don't actually fall asleep they have like a nice conversation afterwards and how much they miss each other and yeah you know talking about like i had so many harsh words for you john and now i don't want to fight with you anymore i want to work with you and 
He's like, I don't want to burden you with all the crap I've had to do here and fit, leave you with in America. So yeah, and they have this this great exchange where basically it's like, why didn't she's like, why weren't you talking to me? And she said, Did you think I would think less of you if you spoke of your misadventures here? And John says, Nobody wants to appear a fool to his own wife. <laughs> um, also, like, sweet. didn't mess around for mo- i mean we don't know fully like historically but in the show at least you know there's the joke in the first episode where ben's like oh you don't know french you need to go take a mistress and he's like no ben stop ew 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> affairs are gross stop ben <laughs> yeah so like he's you know pretty uh you know i guess chaste is the word uh or celibate faithful in france whatever. yeah um but he definitely doesn't want to be like bother her with the the wheelings and dealings and all of that stuff. So it's like, let's like my heart was never close to you. I love you like I did the first day. It's yeah. a good moment. Yeah, I like it a lot. And um, then this sort of conversation about like when I'm away from you, Abigail, like I become a bad person. <laughs> I become yeah. vain and and ill and you. And then he says, "You must stay with me always to prevent my ruination," which is. You know, maybe that's that's fraught in the sort of like men need women to to help them emotionally their bad regulate qualities or whatever. Yeah, but it's also like you could read it as like they have a relationship where they depend on each other and they bring out the best in each other. And I think and that that's sweet. It's that, and maybe also like because he doesn't fully understand his mental uh his mental illness like the yeah, the, the right. bipolar thing where he's like maybe it is you that keeps me from from like ha- from going from, like from manic to depressed yeah right exactly exactly yeah. so who's to say like what's their understanding of that but yeah it's still their relationship is very dependent and uh you know interesting um so we see the return of uh our buddy thomas jefferson again um who is much more reserved even so even than he was in the other episodes, um, obviously, he has now seen the death of his wife and daughter uh, and is going through a lot and also like doing all of the stuff that John is doing while not having an Abigail. So I think the show is trying to show us like this is what somebody looks like when they don't have the person regulating them. Mm. He's, he's a lot more uh, like passionate about certain things and, and nervous about certain things and doesn't have the sort of clarity that John was provided by Abigail. Yeah. A lot of great conversations between the three of them. We kind of like the show becomes an ensemble series for a little bit where it's like Abigail has distinct interactions with Jefferson, Jefferson with John, like John with Abigail. Everybody mm-hmm. has their little conversations. Um, did, was there any particular part from Jefferson here that you were a big fan of? Um, I mean, I think he's still kind of like, you know, quiet guy that we saw in the other episode. Um we named the one interaction with Abigail where they're talking about the opera and she was like, boy, that was a little sexual, huh? And he was like, yeah, but pretty awesome, right? <laughs> She's yeah. like, yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, it's interesting the implications that are happening here where um, well, Franklin's like, yeah, Jefferson's going to take over because he gets how to like hang out with the French. Um, and he ends up having a similar like carousing experience from what I understand to Franklin. Right. Um, but the line that like my favorite thing that Jefferson says here is in the conversation with Adams, Jefferson and Franklin, where um, where they're basically talking about 
the establishment of a national government that's happening kind of out of view of this. Mm-hmm. So just to give people the historical context. I was about to say, this is your chance, man. What's, what's going on at this time is as the revolution is coming to a close, um, the Continental Congress, I think is still what you would call the, the leading organization of the revolution, mm-hmm. um, is is having conversations about like, okay, how do we establish a national government? And basically every state... Uh, has like reworked their constitution at some point, uh, either prior to this or during this moment to sort of say like, okay, here's what our deal is. Here's how we're incorporating the ideals of the revolution. Um, but the country of the United States of America needs to establish a government. So they establish a government that's called the Articles of Confederation. And essentially it's a pretty loose patchwork of the 13 different states the government of the Articles, there was no president, there was no national military, there was uh, the, gov- the central government had no power to tax the states. Uh, there were just, it also like had limited or no power to like make treaties with foreign governments. Like treaties had to be brought back and approved by a nine of the 13 majority or something like that. There was mm-hmm. just a lot of uh, limitations on that central government. And so when Adams and Jefferson are talking and uh, Adams is like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, as long as they, the Europeans have to deal with 13 separate states, like they're going to kind of play around with us. And that's kind of what's going on at this time, that this new American government doesn't really have a lot of credibility or power. Um, and then later in the episode, like during the time jump is essentially when the we have the Constitution. Um, because of the sort of failings of the articles and and uh, some other things that I don't have to get into, but the Constitution gets established later, uh, which is why Washington, first president, you think like, oh, that must have happened right after the revolution. There's actually a gap of time before that happens because the Constitution mm-hmm. didn't exist. But anyway, so that's the context of this conversation that Jefferson, Adams, and Franklin are having about like establishing a society and a government. And Jefferson just draw. He's like, you know, I've been thinking, uh, and he like keeps doing that in all these scenes where he's like, I've been just having thinking, these, just like, curious. <laughs> I've been having these really big thoughts. Um, and this is another paraphrase of something that came from a letter of his to James Madison, actually. Um, okay. So I want to read the quote, the direct quote from the letter, and what's in the show is a is a paraphrase of this. Okay. Where he says. Um, the question whether one generation of men has a right to bind another seems never to have been started either on this or our side of the water, but between society and society or generation and generation, there is no municipal obligation, no umpire, uh, but the law of nature. We seem not to have perceived that by the law of nature, one generation is to another as an independent nation to another. On similar ground, it may be proved that no society can make a perpetual constitution or even a perpetual law. The earth belongs always to the living generation. Every constitution, then, and every law naturally expires at the end of 19 years. If it be enforced longer, it is an act of force and not of right. So he's forwarding this idea that is like, I find to be one of the most interesting ideas that Jefferson posits during this period of time which is he's like really enraptured with the revolution and he's thinking like yeah when you think about it younger generations 
like, you know, us now in 2020, why should we be bound by laws that were created in 1960 or whatever? Like we weren't there. We weren't alive. Um, a new generation should take control and, and adjust the laws that they want to adjust and, um, and fit it to the, to the present day, which is, you know, you have people who want to interpret the constitution in this originalist way where it's like, what would the founders have wanted? And here's one of the founders saying like, don't, but don't ask us <laughs> like you're in the future. You know what you should do. We have no business controlling you or telling younger generations how they should live. Um, and it's interesting, the irony that like now the U S constitution has been the constitution for however long it's been, uh, since 1780, whatever, almost, yeah. almost two, almost 300 years at this point, almost 250 years at this point. Um, and then Adams's response is like, Whoa, don't you want to like have a society with laws and stability and stuff? So I thought that whole conversation was really revealing about both of their characters. Exactly. Kind of contrasting them and reminding us that the, the, this relationship has ripple effects for, for America in addition to like just these two people as friends and as colleagues. Mm -hmm. But also the other, the other wrinkles here are like in 19 years from this point, Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson is president of the United <laughs> States under the constitution. You know? uh, whoops. So like, and he still is a slaveholder and, and all those things. So uh, Franklin, I think says like you or no, maybe Adam says you are a walking contradiction. Yeah. It's like, yep. yeah, that's Jefferson. He'll say this shit and then be like, anyway, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. But that's a cool idea, right? It's yeah. such like, you could totally see another, like a maybe even from the same production crew, like another biopic or miniseries about Thomas Jefferson during this time, mm -hmm. and like what he's going through with his family and whatnot, uh, because yeah, he just is so like puts out these incredible ideas and then lives a life entirely anathema to that. Um, I think it's just yeah, he's a very fascinating figure, even though I have a lot of problems with him. Uh, so we you know we get lots of conversations between the three the three guys talking about America and. And, uh, you know, the other line that I really loved was when they're talking about, like, yeah, England, like, is starting to take us a little bit more seriously, but, like, they're kind of just waiting for us to give up. And then I think it's John who's like, wait, do they think we're going to get, They do they think we will tire of independence? Like, or uh, Jefferson says that. Like, do they think that we're just going to be like, ah, all right, we're done. We were just playing around. Like, we want to do this. They, we need legitimacy for this country to be independent. We can't just, like fight the fight write the papers and then say thank you and do what they're doing this is actionable change that has to happen yeah definitely uh yeah and um you know those conversations are just so important and, and like i could eat that stuff up all day especially mm -hmm. like as we're sitting in in this beautiful like european uh you know field eat, eating and smoking and all this stuff it's just like oh i i just really enjoy the the sort of table setting of the series here. Mm -hmm. And then this, that conversation also previews what we're going to see when Adams is president where he's like, come on, like we need laws to like control people. And Jefferson's like, you don't have faith in your fellow man or yourself. And that's going to be his, uh, his since big flaw. The, since freaking episode one where he's like, people can't govern themselves. Right. Right. Exactly. You know? Um, so from here, uh, we, 
learn that John is appointed to be an ambassador in London. So once again, this guy has his life briefly upended uh, and is, is, is goes to London uh, alone. I ended, or no, no, he goes with, he takes Abigail with him. No, he does um, to, to basically be the, the talking, the mouthpiece between America and King George the third, um, which is a big moment for him. He's very nervous. And I think, you know, before we go there, they are really like showing us that there's still potential and he's still seeing a, like a world that is changing so rapidly. We get this very brief, but very affecting scene where they're watching uh, one of the first hot air balloons take off. And John still has this doubt. I think you can like really easily read the symbolism here where Jefferson is talking about mankind floats upon a limitless plane of air. This thing is going to go and fly. And John is like, yeah, it's hot air. Like we're not, it's not going to fly anywhere. It's just a bunch of like nonsense. And he sees the, the, the balloon go up and they're telling him like cut the cord and it goes. And he's like, Oh, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Kind of portraying Adams as this like guy who doesn't expect the sort of like freedom and independence to work exactly smoothly and that it has to kind of be guided in a certain direction. But sometimes if you just let this happen, it'll work out really well. Mm -hmm. I I just thought that scene was really great and I didn't expect to take notes on it or to really appreciate it. But I saw it. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like you really do get to say like I lived and got to see one of the first hot air balloons take off. That's an amazing thing to put in your life to have it experienced. Yeah. Right. Um, so we go to we go to London again. Color palette changed to a harsh gray, brown, and black, and maroon, the color of monarchy. Um, and John is being taught how to bow in front of the king. It's this like really elaborate three part bow. The second you enter the room, halfway through the room, and right in front of the king. And Giamatti plays this like kind of p- the portlier John Adams so well here, where he's like, I can't. I don't bend good. <laughs> I don't, and I mean, I also don't bend good. I totally get it. Uh, and the guy's like, "Well, you have to bend your knee. It's not polite if you don't bend your knee all the way." Um, and we and get whole scene, yeah, where he's like, "Come on," and the guy's like, "Deeper. You gotta come on. You gotta bow a little on. deeper, all the way down, John." And then yeah. he's like, "I like the the polite way that the guy says it. He's like, maybe we need to get you a different outfit." And he's like, "What do you mean a different outfit?" And he's like. Yeah. Uh, something more British, maybe. But what it immediately means is like a size bigger so you can bend. <laughs> and yeah. so this is like the, the, I think, the like showcase scene of the episode where John Adams approaches the the room of King George and he's in this like black, dark black suit and he does the bow and he's so fucking nervous He's looking at this opulent throne with red curtains and there's like paintings everywhere on the ceiling. And I kind of fell for a bait and switch here of sorts because King George is not sitting on his throne. He's standing next to it, like leaning against it. Mm -hmm. John does all the bows as best as he can and then goes up to King George and is like, what's up? (laughs) I'm the American guy. I definitely thought it was going to be a moment where he was like, I'm not 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 the king. I'm like the guy who stands by the throne. But I wonder what's the... I wonder what the intent was there or what the like, maybe what the real life basis is. I think um, it is. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, eventually how the scene goes is John is like nervous and then he sort of blurts out like we should be independent (laughs) uh, more or less, but in like more words than that. And King George is like on the verge of tears the whole time. And he's like, yeah, I, I I totally have thought the whole time that you should be independent to 
I'm not the one who disagrees with you guys. Yeah, I like you guys. Like quit to, quit saying I'm bad. Um, Why do you guys call me the Mad King George? Why is history going to be remembering me as the Crazy King? I'm just a guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the reason that he's not standing in his throne is it's this sort of symbolic thing of like either his power has been diminished or like he's not as comfortable in his power as he was before maybe oh like this is later in his reign maybe yeah well and he just lost this war where he's losing england's colonies so i think like he's not feeling like a particularly strong king let me sit in my throne kind of guy right and his his outfit it's like op it's regal but not that regal like it's you know he's got the the navy blue and all the like finery and all that stuff but you know this is not a a king that wears a crown anymore he just has the wig and yeah he's and he can't affect very much like he doesn't he tries not to emote i think that's a very Mm. common thing historically is that like royalty is not supposed to show much emotion but you see him choking back tears as he's trying to deliver this flat like Yes, I believe independence should happen. And his eyes are like telling a whole other story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible performance. I think you, yeah, you identified this guy as another Chats alum. I was like, where have I seen that guy before? Yeah. It turns out this is the guy who played uh, Mr. Collins in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, yeah. which we watched mm-hmm. uh, two, seasons, two half seasons ago, if you want yeah. to call them that. Um, Yeah, just a great scene. Just incredibly like done between the cutting between the two of them and, and like John kind of finding his confidence for halfway through the conversation and uh, saying like, I, I have no attachment to any country, but my own and like all that stuff where he's like, yeah, I'm ready to do this. Like, yeah, uh, it's just a really well done scene. Um, But then we get our other uh, reunion of the episode as John and Abigail uh, return to the Americas, return to Massachusetts and uh as they get off the boat everyone's they're shooting cannons there's like explosions and gunshots and it's awesome and there's a couple of handsome kids in the front who are like hi mom and dad and they're like what (laughs) i can't even begin dude to fathom not seeing your kids for over a decade and trying to recognize them i can't even start like uh reconciling that in my head that scene was yeah i was like oh my god this is yeah unbelievable like These he are just doesn't know he doesn't recognize them he says of course i recognize you my daughter yeah <laughs> he's like, did, like, did he forget like... her name or something <laughs> that's what it seemed like i think i think he kind of like like i said earlier he's kind of finding his confidence here where he's like are yes yes like as he's saying it he's he's realizing it yeah because maybe he's like are the... you one of my son's girlfriends or something <laughs> um my daughter who could truly who could say because yeah. they might be married at this point yeah uh this is also where we get the like uh the aged up makeup for for both john and abigail mm-hmm. john has lost more of his hair and <laughs> uh has a different wig now yeah um he's looking very old and abigail aged a little bit better but we have this dinner scene uh which we really enjoyed um where it's the whole family kind of like recounting what they've been up to and uh i think one of the kids went to harvard and he's been like a nasty boy at harvard that's a lot of fun yeah he's he streaked through harvard yard which just goes to show that college has always been college yeah exactly since day yeah. one is they mentioned peacefield is peacefield the name of their estate i don't know i guess so because i know the last episode of the series is called peacefield so i thought that was what they were going that for ma- but. that would make sense then yeah 
because uh, what's isn't Jefferson's estate called something cool? Monticello. Yeah, he says I would never have Monticello without my wife, and now my wife is not gone, so I don't even know what my place, like, what is my estate anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they talk to their kids, and and he tries to be a dad, but his his kids are all like, yeah, we've kind of had to raise ourselves for a while. We're all like fairly independent, doing different things. Like I'm into painting, and I'm a blacksmith or whatever, and I'm getting naked at Harvard Yard all the time. <laughs> right. It's like you can't you can't just come into our lives now and yell at us and expect us to like respect your authority or something right um because he, he ends up yelling at charles like you you should be studying and he says a scholar is always made alone and sober um <laughs> and charles comes back with this amazing passive aggressive line where he says your example has is always before me father yeah of like yeah i know how to become like you also i don't want to <laughs> I, don't, I, know, yeah. I don't want to be you why would why would I ever want to be you? You've been yeah. gone for most of my life and all this. Right. I think the place where the parenting got me the most though was when John takes a walk with John Quincy through the fields, and uh, you know we learned by the way that John Quincy is. I, I think you you had looked up that he was like in his twenties at this point of the series. Yeah, because um, I was all on board with like, whoa, he's sexy, he's put together, he's so mature. And then they were like, oh, he's got a girlfriend. I was like, okay. And then nice, John nice. Adams like, how old is she? And he's like, oh, she's 15. Uh, and I was like, oy, oh, oy, oy. no. And I think by my math at this point, he's either 21 or 22. I so, believe. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. like culturally, that's less of a stigma. But it's definitely a stigma because people are still like, oh, really? 15? Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, how the age difference between John and Abigail is. Right. Uh, probably i think more than that yeah and the show is not like when john adams is talking to john quincy he's not making a issue of the age difference he's making an issue of like uh you know jqa you're too young at all to be in a relationship you should be focusing on your work you should be all he basically says like i will give you a stipend if you like take an apprenticeship and start working to become a lawyer yeah and this is the moment where i was like john quincy is going to grow up to be so freaking smart because he's like biting back a decade plus of resentment for his father and he's like fine i will and you know that he's gonna they're gonna have more conflict at some point uh this is uh, a great performance this is eben moss backrack who i know really well from playing desi desi on uh hbo's girls another hbo series a couple (laughs) years later (laughs) he looks really young in this because he gets a big big beard in girls but in that, just to kind of paint you a picture, Magellan, he plays like the hippie boyfriend who cheats on his girlfriend with one of the main cast and is just like a shitty, gross, me- like uh, mm. folk musician. Mm. So seeing that, I was like, no, I don't trust Desi. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's John Quincy Adams. and I'm supposed to like him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just cool to see John Quincy Adams like already be more poised and competent and like... Um, ambitious than his father and exactly you can be like because like when i watch john adams in this and i see people cheering for him at the end of the episode i'm like this guy this, this guy? Is the guy but when i see john quincy adams it's like okay, this, this guy this guy I, I can see how he becomes you know someone exactly someone big uh brief thing here where abby falls in love clearly with uh john's secretary uh-huh. whatever who is moriarty from uh, from bbc sherlock by the way oh, okay that's cute i was like i know that was not my example where i was like i know this guy um 
And then, yeah, what is this where it happens? Is this where they're like, by the way, John, while you were gone, we figured out a president and vice president system. And he's like, cool. I hope that works for you guys. And he's like, no, no, John, you're the vice president. He's like, wait. Yeah, what ends up happening is um, I don't know who this guy is who comes to their house and is like, hey, you're back. Because he basically is like, Abigail, I'm going to write them Congress a letter and be like, I don't want to be an ambassador anymore. Give me a new job. And then he gets back and the guy's like, hey, so, you know, we could we could figure something out for you. You could be like a senator or like something or the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, huh? Or like president. And then the guy's like, let me put your name in for president. How does that sound? And John's kind of like, I don't know. George Washington's definitely going to win. And then Abigail Adams jumps in in this great moment where she's like, yeah, at yep. least vice president. Because anything else man is the job. You, which is a, a cool moment. And also shows you like, what would, what would have, what would her life have been like, you know, if she was a man? Maybe she would have been president because she's got such this like steely eyed determination and ambition. Yeah. Um, she's basically the one that pushes him to take it. Like, right. and then when he's walking away from her later after they talk about it, she's like, Vice President Adams. And he's like, huh? She's like, Vice President John Adams, say <laughs> your damn title. That's what you are now. Yeah. You need to accept that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want the, the next scene, by the way, is, is another one of my favorites. Maybe from the whole series where George comes in year, years out from the last time we saw him and John is like kind of prepping the crowd. And it seems like this is just a crowd of like 30 men. And you're like, oh, that's great. And George is here. He now looks exactly like we see George in paintings where it's like now he's president. Mm -hmm. He's got the wig and the sort of stateliness and the, mm -hmm. the black out coat. And uh, John is like, he, he basically says like, John, I serve you. And then John bites back his lip and is like, no, 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 I i serve you <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. no that's not how this works yeah i and they, i was trying to read this scene um it's an interesting one because he yeah he riles up all the other like senator kind of government guys yeah and and then when george washington walks in it's a really awkward moment where john adams is like oh fuck <laughs> george is here he just saw me like getting drunk off power a little bit this is really awkward and you know what's interesting there too is like adams is back in the americas because he's so sick of like bowing monarchs and kings monarchs and, and kings and nobles and bowing to people and you can definitely see in that moment where he's standing up in the thing and the president walks in and everyone looks at john adams to basically establish the precedent of like do we bow to the president or what do we yeah, do? Yeah, totally. Because like that's not something that had ever been, that's not a role that really necessarily existed anywhere in the world at this point. That um, was like the whole reason that they brought Washington was like, this guy doesn't act like a monarch. We don't want a monarch here. Yeah, but so we there were some people, like I think Alexander Hamilton maybe was saying that people should call him your majesty. You know, like yeah. there were some people who wanted to treat him in a kind of kingly way. And partly it was Washington saying like, no, 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 don't do that. Um, but it seems that the implication here is also that there are guys like John Adams who subtly are like, I'm not going to bow to anybody anymore. Like we just fought a whole war so that I wouldn't have to do this. Right. Yeah. We tried um, to escape this. 
Yeah, but then the other dimension of this scene that I thought was so fascinating is like the bigwigs and the politicians, like these are John Adams's people, you know, mm-hmm. and to them, they kind of it's like, John Adams is the guy. Right. To them, I, I was kind of confused about this because in the previous episode, he is getting like dunked on constantly. Like he, yeah. al- he always, <laughs> there. there's this running theme of, scenes where he's like reading a newspaper and someone's like john adams is a fucking loser and he's john like what kill the hell <laughs> like when they're in britain and he's reading the newspaper and abigail's like take that newspaper my, my <laughs> um but then in this scene yeah like you're saying it's like these are his people and to them like he got some votes uh in the vote for president among mm-hmm. among these among the electors and the reason for that is is that he has pedigree he's been an ambassador he's been a lawyer he's been a representative of his state he's got the resume to be president and to govern but then we walk outside yeah and this handheld shot pans outside and we go oh that's george's people (laughs) yeah right and like that crowd doesn't necessarily know who the fuck John Adams is, or like exactly. doesn't really John Adams. <laughs> they're they're probably like the French people, where they're like, oh yeah, we know Ben Franklin was in France. We know Samuel Adams. I didn't know there was a John Adams. Um, and I think that contrast is really, it's just really interesting. I don't know, but it, it's it's yeah. one of the bigger scenes to study in terms of like understanding this show and this characterization of John Adams. So this is in uh, Federal Hall in New York, if I'm not mistaken, which also sets an interesting, like, it's a good setting because it's like there's a good mix of people here, both, like, rich uh, politicians and just the average, like, American living in New York Mm -hmm. uh, trying to, like, get a view of this guy. It's very... Uh, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance to it. You literally have people like amongst the group of politicians in the building standing on chairs to be like, I want to see, I want to see. Like this is a, the the visual of this is really important to all these people. They're holding up flags and they're cheering for him. And, you know, the camera kind of like stops focusing on John after a certain point and says, this is right now, this scene's not about John Adams anymore. This is about the the presidential like swearing in ceremony. Uh you know, he shakes his hand and then he does the classic reading of, of uh, you know, of the oath and everyone has to lean in because George Washington notoriously like a pretty soft spoken guy, despite being a towering presence and uh-huh. a military man like doesn't project very much. Uh-huh. So as the guy's like, say this, I, George Washington, he's like, I, George Washington. <laughs> they're like, what? They're, did he say it? Literally, I think I heard some of the crowd go, did he say it? <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. That's funny. Um, Like, he just doesn't, you know, he's not this, like, big, like, uh, loud presence like we kind of imagine he is historically. Yeah. He's just right. a guy. And, yeah, and then it just ends on John being like, yeah, America, let's go. Cool. Right. I think this is another, this is slightly less annoyingly patriotic than uh, the reading of the Declaration of Independence. But and I think the reason that this isn't as annoying is because of the scene that immediately precedes it and gives it a, a kind of twinge of like, oh, I don't I don't like this. Yeah. Yeah. And because we know, at least historically, that like famously, these two are going to have a lot of conflict. Yeah. So right. this isn't going to be like and then they had a perfect presidency that didn't did nothing wrong. It's like, no, these guys fought a lot, yeah. like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's something to, I guess, look forward to. Um, but that's what I got, Magellan. Um, 
So we can look ahead uh, to what we're watching next week on Chats Adams, if you like. Let's do it. So next time we are watching, uh, I went to, <laughs> sorry, I went to search for uh, HBO in my Chrome bar, and I typed the word ho- hobo instead of HBO. <laughs> so I was about hobo. to type hobo max. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so next time we are watching the next two episodes of John Adams, episodes five and six. First, there's episode five which is entitled Unite or Die. Ooh. Elected America's first VP, Adams is frustrated by his exclusion from Washington's inner circle. He also sees his friendship with, friendship with Jefferson, the Secretary of State, strained by the British-French conflict. Though he's vilified for casting an unpopular swing vote in the Senate that ratifies a U.S.-British treaty, Adams ends up being elected president in 1796. Oops. So we're going to see the shit's gonna get intense and intense <laughs> in the next one you thought everything was fine now that we have independence and we have a president and yay right not quite not just yet not quite i'm really excited to talk about that one i gotta say mm-hmm. that's one of the ones that you've like is that the alien and sedition acts one uh no that i'm guessing that's episode six oh. um but i have there is like a conversation between we're going to see Hamilton show up in the next <gasps> one. Hell yeah. And there's a conversation between Hamilton and, and Thomas Jefferson, like sniping at each other that I've used in class before. So delicious. That's going to be delicious. fun. Uh, and then the second episode we are watching next week is episode six, which is entitled Unnecessary War. Abandoned by Jefferson for retaining Washington's cabinet, President Adams holds firm on keeping the nation out of war despite French aggression and pro-war sentiment among his advisors. Abigail urges him to sign the controversial Alien and Sedition Acts, seeing them as a way to preserve domestic security. Meanwhile, Adams faces a crisis at home. Meanwhile, Adams faces a crisis at home is every episode, to be fair. <laughs> but him actually facing it is the part that I'm excited about. Yeah. Very cool. So we're going to get more Adams actually in America doing stuff that's very exciting mm-hmm. and then just the thumbnail for episode seven is john adams looking at his the shingles on his roof <laughs> so like that's called peacefield right yeah so the last episode is just going to be like him being an old guy he just hangs out it's oh my god an hour of paul giamatti just sitting in peacefield being like damn nice place we got here <laughs> yeah i dig it i dig it a whole lot um but i think that brings us to the plug zone um, John, do you want to do this one this time? I would love to. So if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do so in a few different ways. You can email us, chatspot at gmail.com, with any thoughts on the episodes that you'd like for us to read on the show uh, or any comments or suggestions or whatever the case may be. Also, I think we haven't said this in a while, but it's a standing, standing rule of chats that if you uh, enjoy the show and you'd like to be on an episode with us, we have pretty much an open door policy for that. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of giving us a heads up. So it might be too tight with the remainder of John Adams for people to get in on that, but just something to think about for whenever we uh, announce our next show. Um, so you can email us at chatspod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash chatspod. You can also DM us there if you prefer to DM as opposed to email for whatever reason. Uh, and then you can join our community of listeners over at reddit.com slash r slash chats pod where they are re-watching and listening to old chats shows and chats episodes. 
Specifically, they are nearing the end of uh, our coverage of Farscape with uh, Scape Chats. I think they're in season four, which mm-hmm. is the final season of, of Farscape. So get in on that before before it's all over. And then if you would like to... Oh, and then please, of course, if you enjoy the show and you want to help us get other people hooked on it, obviously suggest it to your friends and then rate, review us on iTunes, five stars. It helps us get found by people. Uh, which is something we're always trying to do. If you'd like to support the show with money, you can do that. You can, sorry, you can Cash do money. That. Cash money. You can do that over at patreon.com slash chatspod, where you can back us at a dollar a month, which gets you access to some old movie commentaries, as well as my coverage of the X-Files called The Chats Files. $3 a month gets you that, plus some other old episodes, plus all of our uh, new monthly content, three things a month, typically. This month of September, we're doing us doing a playthrough of AI Dungeon, us doing uh, a pilot chats where we cover some sitcoms from 2009, and then us doing a nights where we just kind of hang out and talk about some stuff, and it's fun. Uh, and then $5 a month gets you access to all of the old stuff and all of the new stuff and all of our love and all of that. So please consider supporting us over at the Patreon there. Uh, and of course, as we've been saying, if you'd like to instead give your money to a worthy cause, especially causes that support racial justice, then by all means, please do that. And then let us know that you've done that and uh, we'll... We'll slip you some access to our bonus content under the table, but don't tell Magellan and Alan about that. Don't be cool. Be cool. Be cool. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it for the plugs for the show. And then we like to end the show by giving you a little chat, some little suggestion. What are you going to snack on between now and the next time that you watch John Adams with us? What are you going to spend your week doing? So, Alan, do you have a chatsum for the folks? I do. Okay. Uh, I do, what actually. Is so, uh, you know, I'm always uh, in favor of uh, people having hobbies that they don't necessarily share with everyone else. I think it's fun to have hobbies that you have with friends, ha- hobbies with family, and then hobbies that are for you. And one of my hobbies for myself has has been for the last probably five or six years, I've been an on and off fan of Formula One racing. Um, I watched a lot of the season back in 2014, and I've been keeping up with the sort of like uh, team shakeups in the last couple of years. And uh, this year, I, I, I got back into it. We're in the middle of, of uh, the 2020 season, which is powering on despite the pandemic. And uh, I mean, if you're not into sports, I think Formula One still has that like cool fantasy sport element that you might be able to get into if you like things like Wipeout or Mario Kart or stuff like that, where it's like, you know, cars matter, but also the racers matter and mm-hmm. uh, the personalities matter. And you know, Formula One is a sport where like there are innovations towards like all electric cars and cars that charge by driving over certain pads on the ground. Like uh-huh. they, it's so weirdly futuristic and cool, just aesthetically and technologically, that it's worth checking out for that alone. Uh-huh. Um, but my chat sim in particular is if that if it sounds very overwhelming, like I'm not just gonna make my chat sim like get into Formula One because I wouldn't you know, I recommend that necessarily, but uh, a podcast that has helped me kind of guide my fandom a lot with it has been uh, Shift F1, which is a great podcast name, first of all. They used to be called Alt F1, and they had, they changed networks. Um, it's hosted by a couple of guys who are who are various writers from different industries, mainly from the games industry, 
uh, doing a Formula One podcast where they go down every race, uh, every before the race weekend, they talk about like the different news and the updates that have happened mm-hmm. coming at it from a very understandable and like basic perspective, but also getting into the nuance of, you know, stuff like different tires and how pit crews work and like that. Um, and they even have episodes that are like, hey, if you've never watched F1 before, here's how you do that and what we're going to be talking about. So it's a great introductory podcast to a really cool hobby of mine. It's called Shift F1. Um, John, what do you got? Maybe. Uh, well, I have a couple chatsims. Uh, Whoa. Let's see. So just on the theme of racing while we're at it, uh, I don't think I've ever chatsim this before, but I'm not sure. Uh, so I think I've made known publicly my love of Mario Kart Double Dash yes. uh, for the GameCube. And uh, I set a challenge for myself in Double Dash that I achieved. And then I wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. <laughs> uh, and I was like, well, you know, I've got this Mario Kart game on the Switch that I played a little bit and then put aside because it wasn't Double Dash. Um, but you and I played... Uh, Mario Kart 8 earlier this week and it was a lot of fun and uh, I just think you know go play some Mario Kart they, there's some stuff that it's like okay I don't like this but then there's some stuff that's really cool and it's a beautiful looking game and uh, it's good so people should play it good for good for having kids also yeah exactly um, and then the other thing that I want to recommend is I think a couple weeks ago on Roots Chats I chatsomed the YouTube channel Two Set Violin Mm-hmm. I think that was on Roots Chats, right? And not yeah, on our secret bank show that we're recording. Uh, oh, I don't Wink. Know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I chat some uh, the YouTube channel Two Set Violin, which is these two guys who do like funny videos about classical music stuff. And uh, recently they got into a YouTube feud exchanging diss tracks <sighs> with another music YouTube channel, a bassist named Davey504. And then I started watching Davey 504's videos and I was initially kind of put off because he's like a little, uh, what's the word? He's just like a, he's very monotone and like intense. And you're like, what is this guy's deal? And also his videos, like it's very meme humor, which is not always, it's not always that funny to me when he's like Mm -hmm. Lamau 420 or whatever. Yeah. Um, But he's like a pretty... I don't know. He's still a pretty charismatic dude and his videos are good. And he also like is a very generous person I've found. Like he has this series of videos that really sold me on him where he goes on Fiverr with a challenge and then finds all the, he like finds all these different bassists and pays like 10 different bassists to do whatever his challenge is basically. Um, And he couches it as like, I'm going to review what these guys did and stuff. But he's always like really constructive in his feedback. And basically, it's just a way to get them exposure on his channel and stuff. So uh, he's a even though, you know, there's you might not like his sense of humor. He's a real one from what I can tell. So Hmm. Davey 504. He's cool. And also, he's Italian and I like. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I was waiting for that. Stronzo. Okay. Is that what you got? Yeah, that's what I got. Buddy, that's amazing. I got to check. I'm going to check out some Davey 504 after this. My other chat some that I said I was going to do and forgot to actually say in the episode is that the scene where they go to the opera reminded me of Amadeus and uh, 
now I want to rewatch Amadeus. So it's another chance. Good movie. It's a quality film. No, I definitely want to check out David Five Hundred Four. His top, mo- his most viewed video is him playing. I believe it's a twenty-eight string bass. So <laughs> he also played a, a thirty-six string bass. Oh my god, that's excessive. Yeah, you just keep adding strings and keep getting views because his like fourth most viewed video is like I play an eleven string bass. <laughs> you just just add strings and then you get views. That's how it works. Um, cool. Well, um, that's gonna do it tonight, folks. Thank you as always to Magellan for being the rock to my hard place. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Chats Adams. Long live the king. What is it? Is that the line? Join or die is what you said last time, I think. I know, but what's the what's the line that they say in the first episode that's like, fuck the king? <laughs> yeah, but what's it, that original? Um, God damn the king. Yeah. No, what's the original? Like God, the, God save the king. God save the king. Or God bless the king or something like that. God bless the ring. God save the king. Good night, everyone.